This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with JJ Janflone. And we're going to talk about Kenya on the continent of Africa, where they have really great coffee. They do. Kenyan coffee, some of the best in the world. Um, Unfortunately, they also have really bad trafficking. Among other things. Some good people, some good coffee. You know, a very, very long and sort of storied history, um, a lot of great innovations historically, you know, history that stretches back before 500 BC in terms of actually like having structured governments and things like that. There's also been a lot, just because I, I do study China specifically, there, there has been a lot of like Chinese investment and trade in the economy within you know, sort of, I would say the last, the last 10 years. One, because Kenya is already, you know, very well developed. And then two, I think because it's the East and Central Africa's hub for financial services, it's just a really good place to like get into a market and expand. So what do we know about trafficking in Kenya? All right. So trafficking in Kenya is, I think, very interesting because it seems to be coming and and engaging with sort of three populations. One population are refugees. So Kenya is a a huge sort of refugee, both like stopping point and and, and waypoint, largely because of sort of geographically where it sits. Um, it's near Somalia and South Sudan, but there are also um, reports of like large populations of Congolese, Ethiopian, uh, Burundian, um, Ugandanese uh, people coming into Kenya, and almost forty, a little, almost half the refugees, so about forty-four percent, according to the UNHCR, of those refugees that are in Kenya reside in Dadaab, which is the largest refugee camp on the planet. Um, 40% uh, reside in Kakuma, which is another camp, and then 16% in urban areas, uh, mainly Nairobi. But Kenya also has this population of almost 19,000 stateless persons, so individuals who don't necessarily qualify as refugees or asylum seekers, but but don't have necessarily a home to, to call place. Um, a lot of these individuals are people from the Democratic Republic of Congo that are trying to sort of sit where they are, or people like uh, the Shona and the Pemba, who are individuals who are ethnic minorities within groups who aren't necessarily identified as belonging to any particular state, but, you know, have, have seen themselves increasingly pushed out of countries that are, that are non-Kenya. I seem to remember that one or more of those refugee camps was designed to be temporary and they've ended up being long-term and aren't don't really have the infrastructure. Is that correct? That's that's the same, actually, for the Dab and uh, Kakuma. Both of them are massively overpopulated. They, they don't have the infrastructure that's necessary. Kenya has tried at, at numerous points to, to shut down those camps, like to stop accepting people in into the camps and then maybe open camps elsewhere, but it's been a mess. So, like, starting, I believe, in, like, 2013 and then again in 2016, Kenya has signed agreements with other countries to, like, repatriate individuals or to, or to move them, but the population is, is still steadily there. It's been really hard 
for for people to leave. But like Dadaab is actually so big though that like it's got schools, it's got hospitals, it's got police stations, it's got like graveyards, you know. So in individuals have sort of created a life there, but at the same time, NGOs will report that like camp conditions are are really rough, particularly in regarding um, wash, so so water and, and sanitation access, but especially in security. So this is the first group. So we're going to talk about sort of, so there's this large population of refugees, asylum seekers, and stateless people who who, who might have sort of fluid or, or hard to define nationality. They don't necessarily have paperwork. They're having a hard time finding what will be defined as legal work or, or defining their legal status. So that's one group. The second group is is that Kenya is, because it, it, it does so well economically, and it is surrounded by these areas that are high conflict areas, is that it's a source, it's a migration source for individuals. So people who are, who wouldn't be defined as refugees or asylum seekers, but are economic migrants, or are just trying to, to move to Kenya to establish a better lives for themselves, you know, for their, for themselves, for their families or children, either, you know, they're pursuing a safer community to live in, they're pursuing better schools for their children, they're pursuing you know, more work opportunities for themselves are, are also coming into Kenya. And then understandably, you know, Nairobi is, is, you know, Kenya's New York. So why, you know, that's where you stop. When, when my um, family immigrated from Italy to the U S they stopped in New York for a hot minute before, you know, discovering that Pittsburgh would be good for them economically. So like this is people tend to stop in major cities first and then transition elsewhere or to stay. So that's our second group is just sort of individuals seeking a better life in Kenya, but who don't fit that legal definition, um, but who nevertheless might be open to exploitation because they're new to the area and they're they're looking to try and, you know, make a profit, find a way to live. And then the third group is that Kenya is increasingly a spot where we're seeing a lot of foreign actors particularly like with the rise of Chinese investment and tourists come into the area. So it's not uncommon in Nairobi to see people of all different nationalities speaking all different languages, each person looking a little bit different from the rest, same as any major metropolitan city anywhere. And so because of that, it's a little bit more, it's a little easier on the, on the trafficking end just because you have a very diverse population that's constantly ebbing and flowing, you know, where people were you know, there for a hot minute, and then they're gone, it can be sort of hard to identify who's just on the hustle, and then who is being exploited, or who is being trafficked. So those are the three populations. For the sake of this podcast not going on for 1800 hours, I'm condensing the the first two groups of sort of refugees and economic migrants in into one sort of overall group, but I will be talking about sort of camp security specifically as an issue. But so that's that's the population in Kenya that we're going to be talking about today that's open to trafficking explicitly. Of course, there's also Kenyan locals. You know, we've talked about how anyone can be open to victims of trafficking, but the majority of the population that gets reported as being a trafficking victim seems to fit within these sort of groups. Now, on top of that, who is doing the trafficking in Kenya is what I think is so interesting because it seems to be primarily cartels, which is interesting. So Kenya has had sort of a long history, especially within the last... I, I would say sort of hitting international news in the last decade, of gangs, cartels, particularly when it comes to sort of drug and firearms trade, but increasingly it's it's being reported of cartels being engaged in, in human trafficking and actually making a, a fair bit of profit off of human trafficking. And one of the things that I would recommend everyone go check out is there's actually a, a really great sort of brief 
YouTube documentary called Merchandised that was put out by KNT News Kenya. That I mean, it's 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 about I'd say like twenty minutes or so, and it's all about how these cartels in, in Kenya are structured, who they traffic, you know, what sort of profits they make, and that was sort of what initially turned me on to sort of this question of how do these cartels work. But normally when we talk about cartels and human trafficking, it's, it's normally tied very close to the drug trade. It's this idea of we're using people to smuggle drugs, we're making people be lookouts, we're making people be drug mules, things of that nature. Or it's tied directly into the commercial sex economy. We're making people, be, uh, we're making people participate in, in commercial sex without their consent. But interestingly, in the Kenyan case, a lot of it is... While there is obviously uh, commercial sex, there's a lot of domestic labor trafficking that's happening as well, that's cartel run. And how this pans out is that cartels will run illegal uh, or sort of, they're, they're not registered with the government, so they're illegal or they are registered, but not in an appropriate way, recruiting systems who will recruit specifically within Kenya workers from Uganda, Ethiopia, Rwanda, and then some, some places in uh, the Middle East to come to Nairobi for work as domestic helpers or for work as to, to work in like service industries. So nannies, uh, cooks, home health aides for, for elderly or sick people. So this forced labor portion is actually what I find very interesting and compelling. There are repu- uh, reports of sex trafficking, specifically sex trafficking of minors, but that seems to be done through sort of direct cartel business, which is to say the cartel going out looking for children specifically for the purpose of selling. But these recruiter offices are like they'll actually set up like they have a storefront, they have a website, they're sort of a, a really hardcore fake business that's dedicated to, to bringing people into first mostly Nairobi. Um, the UN Economic Development in Africa report from 2018 listed Nairobi as one of Africa's top migration and trafficking hubs. So bringing people into Nairobi and then sort of dispersing them throughout Kenya. So what they'll do in particular is because there's so many international flights in Nairobi is that you have this criminal network that is devoted to falsifying passports and other sorts of personal identification, falsifying contracts and contract work, and then serving as like a full-on fake business recruiter. So like you go online and, and just find jobs that you apply for, that you go through a process, they do fake interviews to make you feel really safe about coming. And then, on top of all of it, is that these cartels have a lot of ties, it's been reported by the UNODC, to law enforcement and customs officers, and so then they pay these bribes for people to overlook uh, what they're doing. One of the reports I've, I've linked you guys to that you can read yourself is of... Uh, underage victim who came into the country she came into kenya to work as a, a domestic helper she knew that she was you know she knew that she was gonna be working as a domestic helper but she needed to make money to send home to her family and remittances uh she shouldn't have been brought in but her false paperwork was really shoddily done it didn't even have a picture 
of her, which, like, obviously your passport's supposed to have a picture, but this government agent had been bribed at the airport ahead of time, so he knew that if people came in with paperwork from this one particular agency to just wave them through, and so he did. And then she ended up um, being a victim of exceptionally violent uh, sexual violence in Kenya. So... While there's been, the tip report talks about how, like, while there's been some action in Kenya to, to try and, and fight against this work and a fight against these recruiting agencies, it's been really limited. And it's been mostly NGO-driven with, like, NGOs actually giving police officer and prosecutor training, not necessarily the government. And that, like, this is now an institutional issue with these massive cartels that have so much power like, not participating in looking at how these cartels are functioning as, like, fake business agencies. So the tip report in particular talks about, and I'm going to quote here, Kenyans are recruited by legal or illegal employment agencies, I'll skip over the countries of the list, in search of employment, where at times they are exploited in domestic servitude, massage parlors and brothels, forced manual labor. These recruitment agencies um, who are bringing people in from outside the country will also then obviously recruit Kenyan nationals. There's, there's you know, if, especially if you're a rural individual looking for a job in a big city, they'll recruit them and, and follow the same policies. But they also do a huge amount of recruitment around these refugee camps or in areas of Nairobi where refugees, asylum seekers, and economic migrants are known to live. So think about it that you have someone who looks like a legitimate businessman, has all this government paperwork, or at least appears to, who comes into your neighborhood and says, look, like, I need to hire eight people to go work as seamstresses. And they tell you that the job is going to suck, right? Like, he tells you right off the bat, like, these are the working conditions, but, you know, you're going to make more money there in a week than you could here in a month. Most people will will take that because they, they need it to live. And so they'll take that job. And it's only once they've been taken in then by the cartel that it's revealed to them what is actually happening. And one of the things that's been reported is that these cartels, how they, how they then control is that they seize their identification documents, they hold them in isolation for, for a period of time, and I'm quoting directly from, from another UNODC report here that I'll link below, which is that the most common form of recruitment is deception, followed by abusive power or coercion. Most of the victims are given promises of false jobs, better life, and even marriage. So we also see some marriage fraud here happening to rich people abroad and at home. So... You know, you come in again like you're going to go work as a seamstress, and then the cartel tells you, look, we have all this power, we have this government authority, and if you continue to try and fight against us, not we could have you deported, and you're not going to get paid, and you are going um, to be se severely abused. So you might as well just go along with what we're doing, because otherwise you're going back, say, maybe to, to a war zone in South Sudan. This trafficking doesn't happen just within Kenya, though, is that these cartels will also traffic men, women, and children outside of Kenya using the exact same thing. So you, so instead of it you being, I, you know, we're in a rural area, so you're going to go into Nairobi and work as a seamstress, it's you're going to go to France and work as a seamstress. Or you're going to go to France and be an au pair, something to that effect. And so it's, it's sort of interesting how it shakes out. So it's taking individuals from from these camps who can be sort of any mix of nationalities 
but also Uganda, Ethiopia, Somalia, South Sudan, and Burundi being brought in um, and sent away to places in in Thailand, um, in the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman, you know, be, being pushed into into these areas. So you have people who who through Kenya are, are and who are trying to make a life in Kenya being trafficked who might not identify as Kenyan, but you also have Kenyans themselves who are being split. And then you do have some people brought in, again, as I mentioned briefly, like sort of the Middle East and Asia. Um, there have been reports of like Nepalese and Indian women being pulled into like dance clubs um, in Nairobi who are told that they're going to come work as like a waitress or a hostess in, in a bar and then are forced to engage in prostitution. And so it's the cartels running this in a, in a very particular way through these agencies that I think is quite interesting because we're literally seeing people who, who are on search for jobs through advertisements, you know, that are posted online or through, through like community job boards. And then people are just disappearing because they're, they're in such need for work that they're, people are, are willing to believe sort of these advertisements. And one of the things that I thought was ridiculous is one of the things I'll link is that actually we, I found the newspaper, I found some newspaper advertisements that they did post. So looking for everything from cabin crews, nurses, beauticians, waiters, sales executives. Um, and it's, and some of the postings will say things like jobs guaranteed in Dubai, jobs in Dubai and Canada, uh, live and work as an au pair in Europe, like come meet with us, um, work as a nanny in Nairobi for a rich family. We'll provide your education. And one of the things that then happens is, is so like after you've been approved, they'll say, okay, well, to, to pay for your documents and to pay for your travel, you have to pay us up front. So then we get into the debt bondage thing, right, Seth? Like where I've paid money to part, you know, to, to get this job. And so because I paid you money for the job, now I'm in, I'm in debt to you. And then they continue to sell and push that like, okay, well now we're paying for your own board. We got paid for your, for your job placement. And that added in with this idea of forgery means that now there's this fear of like, I can't go to the police to report that I've been trafficked because then I have to admit that I've had forged documents. And if I admit that maybe I'll be deported or I'll be imprisoned. And then the added issue of, of, multiple people speaking multiple languages and trying to find like a place that they feel comfortable, a traumatized population in the case of sort of refugees or economically displaced people. And like, how do you deal with that? And there was a quote from a, from a counter, um, from a article in the Guardian about like a counterfeit economy that goes on in Kenya that had a direct quote from a, a politician who has been, been working on anti-human trafficking efforts, and he says, quote, the influence of the cartels is overwhelming. They are doing legal business with politicians. If we do not fight them, we become their slaves. You are taking these people into a corrupt investigating system through a corrupt anti-corruption system and a cor uh, corrupt judiciary. And so what you have then is sort of a state that's fundamentally failed to address the fact that, that he not only is human trafficking occurring, it's human trafficking occurring through these these false agencies. And so I think it's it's one of those things where it's it's almost rare for us anymore to have outside of conflict states or or very sort of low-level developing states for us to see sort of brick and mortar 
human trafficking spots. It, it's much more to happen sort of ad hoc or sort of in this illicit economy. But it seems like in Kenya, at least, there are still places where you can actually physically go to hire someone through the cartel. And by hire, I mean buy. Well, in criminal networks who run illicit types of businesses and so on, like they seem a lot more like business operations nowadays. Like when I think of Mexican cartels, it's like they're multifaceted illicit businesses and and uh, I don't even know what all they do. Yeah, like in, in so in, in Kenya, like they participate in counterfeit goods. They participate in running drugs and running guns um, and human smuggling. So there's a lot of sort of coyote associated work um, that you and I have talked about in previous podcasts about you know, people who are trying to get in and out of the country, you know, so the cartels are engaged in a number of things. It's not like there's one cartel that just does human trafficking, you know, like it's, it's not Game of Thrones-esque where everyone has, or Harry Potter, where everyone has a house and just one thing that they do. But I think the issue is here is that the cartels have such a control of the economy in Kenya that at the moment they're able to sort of do what they want. And one of the things that they want to do is to benefit by bringing people into the country oftentimes illegally or taking people out of the country often also times illegally through these fake agency businesses. And, and it's, I mean, I can't think of anything that'd be more traumatizing. Like imagine you're in a refugee camp. You're, you're not officially documented. You're incredibly traumatized. Maybe you're, you're underage or you're like just at 18. You've got a variety of family members to provide for. You flood a war zone things you're economically depressed, your education has been eliminated, and you get a job offer to, like, go be a janitor at, say, like, a major university in Nairobi. And you know Nairobi is beautiful. You've heard wonderful things about it. Or, I mean, if not Nairobi, then, like, Paris, Wisconsin. <laughs> so, like, you, you, you know, and then this also then, too, a job then gives you the opportunity to pursue... Like, to go ahead and be like, oh, fantastic, because now I can pursue, instead of being, you know, in a refugee camp waiting for citizenship somewhere, I can pursue citizenship through a legal working visa, because I think that this job is legitimate. So not only can I send money back home to my family and, and make enough money to provide for myself, I can also provide my family with a, with a way to have a legitimate, safe home to rest their head, Right. And so I know that, like, this isn't maybe the job that I want, and I know it's going to be difficult, and I have to go into extreme debt. You know, my family's borrowing money from other people. The community is pulling their money. You know, everyone's hopes are on me to go and and sort of do this job to benefit everyone. And then immediately upon arriving, I realize that I've been tricked. And not only have I been tricked, I have to do what these people want me to do, because if not, they'll hurt me. They'll hurt my family. I have to try to make some form of money because, you know, maybe my family borrowed money from unscrupulous people to send me on this trip. So I'm hurt. I'm ashamed. I'm traumatized. I'm scared. And now on top of that, they're making me be like a domestic servant. That's a lot, man. And it's awful. And to know then, too, that like the government has been if not complicit, as some of these articles that I'm, I've linked to all seem to suggest, but certainly at the very least have not done a great job at ending it, I think that only leads people who are already, if, you know, if you're fleeing the state, you probably don't have a lot of faith in governance, you know, just through examples. 
I, I can't imagine that then you feel necessarily like if you're fleeing, say, a militarized state or you're if, if you're a stateless individual who's been pushed out because of your ethnic identity and you have no place to go home to or no place to call home to, I, I highly doubt your ability to feel safe reporting. But I just think it's so interesting that we have a, a criminal enterprise engaging in faux legal enterprises for the sake of trafficking. And it seems to be very well known. And yet it's happening like in the open area, like in newspapers, job advertisements, online, like everywhere. Nairobi is an exceptionally advanced economy, like they should be doing better. And also, but I mean, like, it's the same sort of thing that like a very similar story is said with New York, where they've had a hard time sort of cracking down on, they've had reports of trafficking coming in and out of the state just because there's so many international flights out of, say, LaGuardia, that, you know, if you have 200 flights, that's thousands of people to try and track where they're coming and where they're going. And that can be quite difficult. But for me, it's the fact that like, if we're seeing passports come through that like don't have in Kenya that even don't have pictures on them, like that to me says that then that level of corruption has gone too far. Okay. So cartels in Kenya. There we have it. And if any of you would like to hear a profile about a different country or a specific angle, about trafficking in a specific country, let us know and we'll see what we can do. Woo! All right, thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye! This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.